gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. That name has a ring to it like a wedding vow. Welcome to the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 47. Why is it 47? Because if you remembered last episode, fuck 45. That's all I got to say about that number. Fuck it. Fuck him. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight's episode... We have the very special duo that makes up the COVID-19 theatrical response team and more than 50% of the rent in the house that I'm living in, Bradley Abeda and Dan Ribb. Hey, Hey. Hey, how's it going? Just to be clear, I don't contribute any rent to your your place. No, No. he definitely does. It's, uh, wait, what are we doing now? Racketeering. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. No, very good. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very fun episode because this is one of the few theater companies in our neck of the woods that has started up as a result of the stay-at-home orders that have been issued over the last month or so that keep extending. Uh, we're looking at hopefully being done with this by April 30th, but that is a very optimistic view. Um, but uh, let's stay optimistic and let's have some good times. Um, Bradley, tell us, uh, tell us what got you thinking about putting this out there. Yeah, I don't. Oh no, I guess it was actually a conversation between us. Um, there was one night, so uh, you were telling me it was around the time that the NBA was canceling games and um, hockey canceled and everything kind of dominoes were falling. And I was like, oh shit, this is all gonna. This is all going to go because like if these multi-billion dollar corporations are going to willingly lose money on this thing, um, then so is like mom and pa's theater down the street. And so there was one night, I think it was the Thursday or the Friday of that week where you had mentioned that you lost like two or three gigs within an hour. Yeah. 20 minutes of each other. Yeah. And so it was just kind of something where it's like, okay, I, think a lot of people are going to be reacting to this mm. and we really had the opportunity to be proactive and so I wanted to get ahead of it before um, you know before anybody else did in established that infrastructure so you know a weekend two weeks in uh, there would be content being created mm-hmm. nice and uh, Dan where do you come in aside from being a jack of all trades Hey, I mean, Bradley emailed or texted a group of us said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Um, I had been on a, a week, weekend road trip um, when, uh, when everything kind of hit the fan and everyone went out and bought their toilet paper and <laughs> I was kind of on my own and I got the email saying, hey, let's start this theater group. Let's do some stuff online. And... Um, and by the time I got back, Bradley was really uh, was really getting a group together that was interested. So I uh, uh, I jumped in and said, "Great, let's uh, let's get on Zoom. We've been using, you know, we're going to have to use Zoom for all these meetings um, if we want to be able to do live, you know, performances. Um, it seems like the the way to go. Um, so I, I like facilitating and doing tech stuff." stage management and production management. So what really got me excited was uh, not so much being on screen or hearing my voice, but was letting people who were as, as excited as Bradley was um, get to do the projects that they want to do. And I would like to get out ahead of this. Um, like I, I did get that initial thing going, but 
uh, had it not been for Dan and his contributions, like this never would have gotten off the ground. So, um, like, I, I want to. There was a little time at the beginning where I was like, oh my God, this is such a brilliant idea. Like we could get like, like all these people involved and we could do this and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to design a logo. What should we be called? And we're just like, this is what we're called. And I was like, awesome. So I've got a Facebook group and we've got a logo. I've already made a promo video. What's up? And I was like, hey, Bradley, is this okay? Yeah, it was really the, um, the, the risk of, um, of letting Dan down that got me to get my shit together. So. <laughs> uh, I was like, he's so fucking excited. If I, if I don't follow through, then it, man, I, I suck. As a, as a man who's made a habit of disappointing Dan, uh, it's not so bad. Like, it's okay. It happens, you know, but then you just get excited about the next thing. But I mean, to be totally honest, like I had been looking for that project that I could uh, latch onto that I had the ability to make happen. Um, I had, I wanted to get involved in the podcast for a while. Um, and the, the, the format wasn't really right for having me involved at the time. And me and Bradley were talking about trying to put on a, you know, another show and it just kind of never like, I didn't let it materialize. Dan was yeah, really fucking but like, you know, working this, on it. This happened and it was just so, it was just so easy to just jump all over it. One, because I think it was important. And I think there's a lot of people who really were looking for something to do because they were so shocked when, like you said, you were just losing job after job. And it wasn't just the loss of the money. It was, we've worked on all these shows and like our creative outlet has been taken away from us. Um, that, this is uh, our entire social structure. Like, yeah, imagine yeah, getting five actors in a room and then not talking about the fact that they do theater. Uh huh. <laughs> um, sometimes it sounds like heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the Ghost Lights podcast is to get actors into a room and then like get to know them beyond theater. Um, although so much of our lives is entwined in that, maybe I got to ask better questions going forward. Oh, you ask fine questions. Oh, well, thank you. That's, that, that's my producer, everybody. I love him. That's my, that's my boy right there. He's got my back. The sports, good. The sports <laughs> questions. Well, I think it's one of the cool things that, uh, that's kind of manifested during this time is um, which, which minds are going to try and stay as active as possible to not think about the, the stark realities that we're facing. And I mean, you, I think, and I've mentioned it a couple of times as we've done these podcasts since the stay-at-home orders have been issued. You just, you, you have to keep some of that, some of those facts rolling around in your brain. You have to be um, as aware of what's going on as you possibly can be, but you also have to, you know, do what you can to stay. I don't know, up for lack of a better description. I mean, I don't mean just like I, you finding reasons to get out of bed. Yeah, that's part of it. For some of us, it's easier said than done. Today, I had to get up and sit through about four hours of meetings and contribute to about five minutes of it. You know, and then after that's done, then I had to do spreadsheet work. I'm lucky, like that's coming in. There are people out there who don't have that option. 66% of this podcast. Yeah, 66% of this podcast. They just, uh, just kind of roll out of bed at 5 a.m. and occupy the day. Um, 
there are people who are <laughs> who are still looking for outlets and uh for those of you at home who are listening and looking for an outlet <clears throat> anything is possible right now okay this is a great opportunity for judgment not to set in because there are people like you all over this planet trying to find the best ways to occupy their time and their mind and when it comes to something like this for an artist i think you guys as well as a couple other groups of theater companies that have been trying to get out there and, and at the very least have a presence are are utilizing the time as best as they can as well we've how many shows of covid 19 theatrical response team done already tomorrow we'll make five is that um or no, sorry, six Sunday. Or, six or seven, if you include our trial weekend. Absolutely. And yeah. Short pieces that we've done. Yeah, so uh, just full disclosure, we're recording this on Friday the 10th, mm -hmm. yes. I want to say. So um, we do have a show on the 12th. I'm not sure when this comes out, Sunday the 12th. Um, yeah, it is a very flexible situation. We're trying to do a bunch of content. And so, mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's the thing. We started on... I believe our first show was March 22nd or so. It was like we formed on March 13th and then we just got into it. Within a week, uh, we were putting on theater. And so um, we were kind of, we put ourselves into a really good position to just get this thing going and figure it out later. Mm. And now we're kind of at this great spot where I feel like we have this whole procedure down and. Um, Dan has all the technical stuff, like where now we have the luxury of being able to build upon it instead of just trying to figure out like what the hell we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, depend, I mean, depending on the workload that people want to carry on, it seems like there's a lot of growth happening in a short amount of time, not only in terms of what you are able to do technically and the types of pieces we're thinking about doing or at least taking in and our community is growing, which is, which is a great thing. So many people during this time are going to feel shut in and isolated. Mm -hmm. And yet here's an opportunity. If you're an artist to meet new people, a and B be with friends and play again. If only if it's, if only if it's for a week, that's still something better than nothing. Um, we've been able to do a, a lot of stuff outside of just trying to keep it small. Like I wanted to do a two-hander. So I, I, I urged for Danny and the Deep Blue Sea to get put up because I thought two people and the director, that's easy, right? But now the, what we're doing with our production for this Sunday, King Lear in a Box, that's 12 people right there. We're 13, I think. 13, and then the, the show that we're thinking about putting on in the weeks after that, 14 people. Easily. Easily 14 <laughs> people. And, and there, there's new people being added to the group. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Dan looks terrified there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Dan, remember, you signed on for this shit. So. You're the only guy that really doesn't get a night off. Yeah, it's been actually really fun. Either we're rehearsing <laughs> or we're putting on a show uh, or we're recording something. Like, it's been nonstop. But um, I did want to point out when you, you were trying to say if anybody else wants to try to get involved, like, or if they need a creative outlet, um, do this on your own. Like you don't need to broadcast this. This really start like the original idea uh, to credit Bradley was, I just want to get some people together and do a reading. Um, 
you can do that. Like the fact that we're living in a time that even though we're isolated, we can all be disconnected is a silver lining that everyone should be taking advantage of. And if you are, and, and what we're, we're really, what I wanted to provide was for everybody to be able to do whatever they personally wanted through the media. So, you know, if we want to just get together with a couple of people and do a read, we can do that and not broadcast it. If uh, one director wants to get all their actors in different costumes and move them around to different rooms and try to be as cinematic as possible, we can do it. And we tried it. And another director was like, let's do a puppet show. You know, maybe we're going to do a puppet show next month or whatever with sock puppets because, you know, it just needs to be fun. Um, the really cool thing about this and the fact that we're like, you know, just doing them in a week and we're just getting these things out there is it can be whatever you want. And I also, you know, we also want to, I want, I personally, I want to open it up to as many people as want to be involved. Like if you're a writer and you want to hear your stuff read, um, get a cast together and let us know. And I'll put you up for, you know, if you don't have, if you don't know how to do the tech side of things, get in touch and I'll help with that. Um, so like, you know, we, we have a, a group of people, but um, every single show we expand it, which also has been really cool, like you were saying, you know, we have people in New York and Los Angeles and all over the country that I've never met before that now I can say I've worked with and it's been a joy. Yeah, we're gonna have somebody from uh, Santa Fe joining us next week. We have um, people in Mississippi that have reached out to participate and Ooh. yeah, like this is a, um, it, like it's cool, we started with our community and you kind of see those little uh, fibers of connection that people have and um, it's, it's really cool having the, like Dan said, the, the connection mm -hmm. that we're able to achieve now with modern technology instead of just like, dear ma, I'm, <laughs> I'm slowly suffering at home. Yeah. <laughs> and then four days later you hear that. It's, <clears throat> it's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot as we've been, you know, as every day has progressed in this new new way of living, our non-ideal American life, I've been trying to think about what what could change or what 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 might eventually revert back to what it is. And I'm really hopeful that the the efforts that we're taking to just put up these Zoom conversations will manifest themselves into that same amount of effort as we reach out to be with our friends and our family members. I, I mean, one of the things that's been good for me is I'm reaching out to my mom much more frequently than I used to. And yeah, there's not a lot that can happen to either one of our lives because we're in the house all the time, but there is something to check in on. And, uh, oh, we got an Amber Alert, everybody. Great, sorry, in case anyone's phone starts vibrating, that's why, 657, <clears throat> April 10th. Hope we find that person. Um, where was I? Yeah, so I mean, I'm hopeful that it, this work that it seems like we're doing to make a play happen will stop, will, will not be viewed as such when we're allowed to go back outside and meet at bars. We will not placate the situation. The friendships that you have now should be solidified so that if you meet somebody after the show, you meet up, you bump into a friend that came and saw you, 
and bam, that's a great, that's a great moment. You don't brush that off because you've got rounds to make and hands to shake and babies to kiss. Like elbows to bump. substantial. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta do the elbow bumps. I get that. But that's easier because I can just wait wade, wade down a hall and do that. Get in here. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your distance. <laughs> um, we can't. We live with each other. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, thank you all for for making the, the COVID-19 thing happen and letting me be a part of it and, and uh, letting others be a part of it and talking about it here today. Um, Dan, what are you drinking? Uh, I, got, I got a couple things here. I'm starting off with some Spaburn 10. Nice. Nice little whiskey here. Um, and then uh, I went and uh, did some uh, curbside beer pickup. I got a, uh, a honey porter. Home brewed by Who brewed that honey porter? Ramsdorf Terry household. Oh man, well, that's a great brewery. I've been there. Before. <laughs> very German. Yeah. Very, <laughs> Ooh, very German, but very tasty as well. Yeah. Uh, Bradley, sorry, what was that? <clears throat> it was good. What's your unofficial sponsor, Bradley? So I am drinking Jim Beam out of a Jack Daniels glass and a mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we sadly manner folks are not a classy bunch of people. Yeah. <laughs> I like to, uh, wash out my old salsa jars and we use them. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of salsa coming in through here. Yeah, We're not knows. putting hot dogs in there to keep them fresh. <laughs> um, tonight, my unofficial sponsor is Fireside Colorado bourbon whiskey. I'm keeping it local tonight. Uh, so cheers to y'all. Cheers. Bang. Clink. Clink. Mm. Oh fuck! It's horrible. Ugh. <laughs> but at least it's cheap. It's cheap. Furlough life, baby. <laughs> so now, as we've opened, as we've started the podcast, Bradley, um, what are you doing with your whiskey? I'm trying to move it somewhere so it doesn't get rings on the table. Here, put it on top of the dominoes. Ugh. Okay, are you with us now? I'm with you. All right, good. Bradley, theater, how did it happen? Oh, man. Uh, so it's, for me, um, fuck, I feel like I've had like months and months to think about this question, and I have not thought about it. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot of podcasts in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So I'm going to back out, let you talk. Here we go. Video chat, you're uh, receiving a real treat right now. Um, <laughs> So for me, it started. Uh, Stop breathing on the screen. Fuck. Yeah, sorry. No, so fine. my um, <laughs> my my paternal grandmother and uh, my father like both very big into the arts. Uh, so my grandma was very big into like classical music, architecture, uh, paintings, um, pottery, like any sort of uh, traditional art. Like she was very into. And so like when I was like six years old. I had like an encyclopedic knowledge of classical musicians and like painters and shit. And um, unfortunately I've lost a lot of that knowledge over the years because of Jim Beam and other uh, injuries to the head. Well, Jeopardy, uh, you're yeah, pretty good Jeopardy. That. Like, yeah. not, not with the, the classical art anymore. Oh man. And, um, and then my dad, uh, when I was growing up, we had season tickets to Heritage Square Music Hall up in Golden, Sweet. which uh, I don't know if, how many people have experienced that? Cause like nobody from Colorado lives here anymore. But, <laughs> um, 
we would uh, we would go to like every one of their shows, all their kid shows. They would bring the kids on stage, give them costumes, and um, and then like I would go to the adult shows, even though I was eight or whatever. Mm. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, oh man, these jokes are for grown-ups, and I'm I feel so adult right now. And um, I got really into Heritage Square, and that kind of um, translated. Like I I got involved a lot with like elementary school plays. Uh, including <laughs> we has jazz <laughs> the most racist bullshit that ever existed oh my where God. i played louis armstrong what <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. yeah that was some fucking bullshit I, like if you see me i am the whitest person you've ever seen in your life like, he's whiter than I, you can see my like i don't my, know my bones through my skin <laughs> oh. uh. Yeah, I look like a disco ball when I exit the house. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I did a lot of like elementary school plays, and then I kind of quit uh, for a few years um, to do sports. And then when I got into college, I went to a liberal arts school, and fortunately, uh, theater was one of the electives that I could take for an art credit. And um, I was able, I auditioned for a show just because I enjoyed the class. I got a pretty significant role in my first show, and I got fucking addicted. <laughs> and what was so, the first show? Radium Girls, which is not a musical. It's actually a really depressing show about women during World War I who would paint radium onto watch faces to make them glow in the dark. And then they got poisoning from the radium and their like bodies would decompose while they were alive. It was a really sad show, but it was a good show. And, um, and fortunately, like it just was the right show for me at the right time, like where I felt like I could do this and and um i felt like there was a a greater purpose to theater than just entertaining people or making them laugh damn yeah theater. how did it happen to you how did it happen to me i feel like i'm the same uh same boat as bradley i've heard the the question so many times um <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I mean, like every kid, like you were, you're in like plays when you're in elementary school. But um, I mostly started as a band kid. Um, so I was in marching band from sixth grade on. Um, did also play a bunch of sports, but it was my uh, it was my good friend Ashley who uh, who was like, Dan, you you need to come out and be in our like theater troupe, um, and so. I think it was fifth or sixth grade. She's like, you're coming with me. You're in this play. It was a play for the community theater, um, Lil Abner. Um, and uh, and I, they were like, we need another person to play a small part. And I came in there. It was the first time I'd ever been in a rehearsal studio. They plopped down a script. They're like, here's your one line. And I opened it up and I read it. And we had the one rehearsal. And the next day the show got canceled. <laughs> oh shit, coronavirus? <laughs> No, I don't remember what happened, but <laughs> that was my first experience uh, in a play, in a real play. But um, but after that, um, uh, we had a we had a community theater group called Shenanigans, um, and uh, my yeah, it was, it was all I can um, think of is Super Troopers now. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pistol whip the next son of a bitch that says Shenanigans. All I can think is that is such a classic name for a fucking community theater. It group. was like a song and dance troupe, but uh, uh, my friend Ashley, her dad Mike, uh, created the theater uh, offspring of this, uh, and so every 
basically every Saturday morning, we had this acting troupe get together and we learned improv and we did skits. Um, it's where I was introduced to Abbott and Costello and, um, and, and we just did a bunch of, we did some serious stuff. We did monologues and it was just this like, maybe five to 10 of us over the course of the year. And so I really started liking that. And that, that got me uh, into high school. Um, I had been in marching band and concert band up until basically my senior year. And I had played uh, drum set in the pit for the school musical. And so a lot of my friends were actors. They were in the shows. I had been a part of the shows through the, the orchestra. And then I had a falling out with the band director and just decided to quit band altogether. And I just walked out and I said, put me in theater class. So my senior year was really the first time I had taken a theater class. Um, and uh, we did a couple of show, like small little shows. And, um, and then we did the Shakespeare at the end of the year. And I got cast as the lead in Merry Wives of Windsor. So I put on this giant fat suit. They didn't have enough money to buy me real boots. So I, I literally took some of my Converse and I sewed on felt to make like knee high boots. On them, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and, and was, uh, was Sir Falstaff. And I was just hooked. Um, Where was this in high school? Yeah, this was in high school. Um, Who was that uh, douchebag music teacher? Uh, I won't say his name, but uh, he was real full of himself. He, uh, he was an ex-football player. We'd be in band. Um, huh. he, he was on the practice squad, if I remember correctly, for the Raiders. And oh. so he had on hand a video, a practice video of himself making one tackle in a, on the practice squad in a, in a practice one day. And like, Every month, he'd fucking put that thing on, and he'd be like, look, here's me, <laughs> And he was so arrogant and stupid, and, it, like, he ran everything so, I, I was just like, I can't handle you anymore. Like, I got to get out of here. We, uh, he, he, he pissed my brother off, too. My brother uh, was in band for a while, and he quit, like, a month into this guy being, uh, or less than that, like, a week into knowing this guy. So it, my family didn't get along with him, but he did push me in the, uh, the direction of theater. So, yeah. Dan? Um, you don't have to confirm it vocally, but like, if you could give us a little cue, was this Suge Knight? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> if it was Suge Knight, I don't think he'd be speaking to Dan. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't think Dan would be with us right now. Can you fly, Dan? <laughs> no, I can't fly. That's, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> right now, well, right now, it was like $30 flight, so I, I guess I could. Yeah. Ooh. Ah, well, um, so... Well, last, last, before I interrupted you, because I wanted to get some tea on this football player, um, <laughs> you were so felt to your converses. <laughs> yeah. what, what, as a man who's become like this stage manager extraordinaire, um, the, the Dan Ribb slurp session has begun. In case stage we, God, yeah, Dan Ribb. <laughs> in, case, in case we haven't figured that out yet, folks at home. Um, My title is Vague Theater Maker. <laughs> vague Theater Maker. What what pushed you into that side of the creation process? Um, so I I went to college um, as just a BA theater major. Um, so we had to we had to take directing, we had to take stagecraft, we had to take um, some sort of tech class. I took a lighting design class and then a bunch of acting classes. 
Um, and just throughout the process, um, I found myself enjoying tech classes more than I enjoyed acting classes. Um, I, uh, on top of that, I was also in marching band in college. So I ended up every first semester during football season, I couldn't be in any plays. I wasn't doing it like real, like acting work. And so, um, so yeah, I just, I, I think my focus um, just naturally started sliding towards the tech side of things. I took two lighting design classes um, and just really, just really liked that sort of thing. Um, when I was, when I was a senior, I got cast in a play that was directed by the head of our acting department. And he was just like infatuated. He was like, Dan, you've got this great, you know, style and you've got subtlety to you. I can really see you going places. Um, and then at the end of the, the show, uh, well, the funny part is he cast me as a drummer boy that had no lines. Um, <laughs> you got talent, kid. Be tree number two. Yeah, exactly. That's how it was. I was like, uh, yeah, I, I was a silent drummer on stage the whole time. But um, I was at the end of rehearsal this one day and he was giving this, uh, the female lead, all of this advice and saying how he was going to make, you know, give her some contacts when she gets out into the real world and help her. And then uh, she took off and I was the last one there. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm a graduating senior. What advice do you have for me? And he was like, shit's tough out there. Good luck. And walked out the door. <laughs> oh, fuck. I was like, Oh, um, <laughs> and then, um, and then I happened to be on campus again, the year after I graduated, I was building a set for one of the student productions. And same guy came walking out of the main theater building. He's like, Dan, you're here. I just got a call from an agent. Um, I think you would be perfect for this role. There's an audition. Um, there's this TV show and it's about a band and they need a drummer. <laughs> I was like, cool. So <laughs> I, can, I can play drums in your mind. Perfect. Um, but it was about it was about three months after I graduated, and I was trying to do the the LA actor thing. Uh, I was going on auditions, uh, and uh, I was signed up for central casting, being an extra in TV shows and movies and such. And I just got this phone call um, randomly, and they just said, "Hey, we need a stage manager um, for this ballet company that's starting up." We called your school. And, uh, and you're the number they gave us, which was weird because I was not a stage management student. Um, the person they got in touch with, I had just been working with uh, in the theaters all summer and she liked me and got along. And so she gave them my number. And they said, I was like, I gotta be totally honest. I've never stage managed and I've never seen a ballet. And they're like, you know what? We hear you're good to work with. Why don't you come down anyway? I was like, okay, well, I just got a job as a barista. Um, this, I hope this pays. And they're like, you know what? Just invoice us for whatever you charge. I was like, oh, okay, I'll be there. And they're like, where is it? And they're like, oh, we're at the Wilshire um, Theater, which was like a mile and a half from my place. Um, it's Tuesday and we open on Friday. Holy shit. <laughs> so I, uh, I showed up. Um, they plopped down a blank score and said stage manage. Um, 
they still hadn't finished building the set, the lighting design. Like this is the first time they'd ever put, this was the Nutcracker with an orchestra. Um, and, uh, and they just said, here you go. We open in three days, dress rehearsals tomorrow, do it, stage manage. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my God. I literally just opened up a Word document and started writing as much as I could down. Um, and for the next seven years, I was the Los Angeles Ballet stage manager. And uh, they eventually hired me full time as a production manager and company manager and tour manager. Um, but realistically, that's how I got into the, that end of things. Like I, I kind of fell into it. I went with it and people liked me. That's pretty sick, but did you ever think about auditioning for that movie Whiplash? No. <laughs> Is that the drum movie? No, it was Drumline. Oh, uh, no. Well, yeah, it was a drum movie. <laughs> drumline. No, they're too cool for me. Those Southern bands, we were, we were more drunk uh, and stoned. We weren't, like, soulful. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. It's not my tempo. Anyway, so what pushed you then to Colorado? What brought you here? Was it creation? Was it something else? Um, I had, um, I got married back in 2013 mm -hmm. and uh, divorced now, but um, we decided we wanted to get out of LA. Um, so we were looking at uh, both uh, hubs for aerospace, which my ex-wife was in the aerospace industry and arts. And as a, the tour manager for the Los Angeles Ballet, I had visited Denver for the Western Arts Alliance Conference to try to book tours for us. Um, so I got a little uh, taste of Colorado and was just like, this place is gorgeous. The theater scene was just bustling. Um, so, um, so yeah, we, we just decided to, to move out here. Um, I didn't have a job at the time, I just, uh, she got a job at Raytheon and we moved out here um, and I just started calling up theaters and asking, hey, do you need someone to come in and work in your box office or whatever you need? And that's just kind of how I got started out here. Fantastic. Uh, Bradley, you had talked about through theater finding um, a specific purpose through that. But what do you feel is the purpose of theater? Shit, man. <laughs> that's like... You haven't asked me a question in 10 minutes. And you <laughs> I'm like, immediately my mind jumps to like meme bullshit. I'm like, to reflect upon society, to have a discourse. Well, that's... I, think, I think ultimately though, it's, it's just a communal storytelling event. Like, it's that simple. It's mm. just, we are going to go and we're going to experience the same thing and we're going to be able to discuss it afterwards and we're gonna know how that relates to our lives and we're gonna have opinions on how those people in that play were living their lives and um i don't know i think it's just a very um humans are very social creatures and i think that it's just a kind of a boost to those social webs i keep using web metaphors um but yeah, like get you to evaluate what am I doing? What are other people doing? How do they feel? How do I feel? How do we communicate to one another? Um, I think a lot of people ascribe like a, a greater meaning to it. And I think that a simple meaning can be more profound than like trying to, <laughs> to say it's like the cure to societal ills or whatever. Mm -hmm. Making it a meme, something simpler is there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can just be simple. It's human connection. It is. That's that's what it boils down to, and uh, that's the really cool thing about it. Through your experiences at the first stages of your career, in college and in freshly out of, what were some of the things that led you to that thought process, that mindset? Well, I think really, um, I, I had the privilege of. So I started my career as an actor. And the first several roles that I got were very different than who I am as a person. Uh, the first role I got was this guy in the 1920s. And um, I'm like, we had uh, double casting for a lot of roles. So I was playing like older people and uh, people that were around my age, but had vastly different experiences. Um, I had another show where I was playing somebody who uh, had different like religious views than me and different um, different um, God, God, like morals than I do. He was a piece of shit, really. But it was it was interesting to try and delve into these characters and see like why, like what is the justification for who they are? Like what made this person into who they are? And I felt that kind of helped me um, learn that skill just in communication in general, like to not um, have prejudice towards people, like just from talking to them, like, you know, you, you talk to somebody and you hear them speak for the first time and you immediately just have a picture in your mind of who they are as a person. And so doing that work made me um, dive deeper and realize, okay, this is a, this is a person too. Like the motivations that they have, makes sense to me. Like I, I don't align with that necessarily, but I can kind of empathize with where they're coming from. That's great. Sick. <laughs> no more deaths. <laughs> um, Dan, from your perspective as a, as a stage manager, what do you find the purpose of theater is? So it's interesting for me personally, um, yeah, that's why I asked you. I, I like, <laughs> thanks. Um, I just like making things. I like detail-oriented, um, uh, just crafting, which I think one of the things that, um, that I like um, about stage managing is taking everybody else's ideas and, and putting them together. And the thing that, that really makes theater worth it for me is calling a show and and making it perfect and and the rush of just putting a project together um i'm i i unlike it's probably why i gravitated towards the backstage instead of on stage is that i i didn't necessarily seek out theater for uh for a connection or for to to, to learn who i was when when my friend first showed me theater it was a fun thing to do and when i really found myself drawn to the tech side and the stage management side of things it was just a rush to make it perfect like calling a show and nailing a cue exactly where it needs to be and having a lighting designer say oh my god you hit that perfectly and just like the presentation of something and trying to get it right was more of a driving force for me to start and 
the the friendships that came along the way were kind of a secondary thing but i think really the the project that we're doing right now has changed that for me um mm. because please expand on that huh please expand on that yeah because it's nothing about what we're doing is perfect right now it's all about just reaching out to each other and being there for each other. Um, it's, all, it's all about meeting people and, and checking in with people. Like we don't do a show now without the cast staying on for 20 minutes or 30 minutes afterward and, uh, and, and having a drink and talking and where we start by saying, how are you doing and what's going on in your life? Um, and because we're so isolated, I think the community of theater that I'm now part of and that I'm helping bring together is more meaningful. And I actually think like, when I get back out of my apartment and I work on things, I might have a newfound uh, respect or uh, appreciation for that side of things. Um, not that, I mean, you, I, I, some of basically all of my best friends in Colorado came through the theater. Um, so I'm not downplaying the fact that it hasn't been a major, major impact in the people that I know and love in my life right now. But, um, yeah, I think like a, a main motivating source for me was, was something different than it may be going forward. Mm. Definitely. Shouts out to the daffle. Yes. <laughs> When you're calling a show, is, is perfection in the back of your mind or are you in your own <coughs> moment created by the work you've done throughout rehearsal? For an actor, the, what I'm trying, the question I'm trying to ask, and maybe I can do better by explaining it to, by, by my own experience. We do all that work, we get, you know, we're off book, we know our blocking, we've, we've researched character choices, we've researched our relationships in, in relation to who we share moment to moment experiences with in the scene. And from there, some people can derive, well, if I hit these notes, A, B, and C, blah, 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 there's perfection. <clears throat> Is it like that for you? Um, so it's, it's less, being able to um, to feel new emotion in the moment every time and feel like I've got it in my bones, now I'm gonna experience it different. It's more like if you've, if you've worked months on learning a piece of music mm -hmm. um, and then it's recital time and you hit every note right on or you miss one but you keep going because you have some feeling for it um, it feels more like that because it is about hitting everything just right, but you can't start thinking, oh my God, like I've, I, I've, I've been in a show and I'm like, one day I'm going to call a perfect show and I'll get to like, there's only 10 minutes left and I literally have hit every cue perfectly. And as soon as I start thinking, oh my God, then I miss a cue. So <laughs> there, it, it very much is like, you, you have to be in the moment, but you're mm -hmm. in the moment as discussed, as rehearsed, and the things that really start feeling natural, is, it's, it, and this more goes to dance than it does uh, maybe calling like a straight play, mm -hmm. um, 
but it's it's learning the it's learning your crew and knowing how long it takes them to pull the 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 rail and it's knowing how long it takes the smoke to to hit the desired effect it's knowing that a five second cue is a little different than an eight second cue and i gotta call these things a little bit and if you can just if you can piece together in your own mind how and where to call all these different things with all these different timings so that it hits right in the right moments it's so, it, it, it's like it it's so exciting as nerdy as that is to be unnoticed on mm. stage you know like if nobody notices that something went wrong or a light came on when it wasn't supposed to the entire show and they were just so engrossed that no one comes up to you afterward and says, what happened? Like, that was a perfect show. Even if it wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. um, that like, I, I don't know. There's just, there's something about making it seamless for the actors on stage. There's something about having a designer say, oh my God, that's just how I wanted it. That's, in the moment, as you're going through the play, each cue comes up and you have a specific memory of a discussion of how that's supposed to be. And if mm-hmm. in the moment you can hit every cue, just how the eight people told you they wanted it separately hit, it was really cool. Yeah. You, you described, as you were describing, I was thinking more and more about how every piece of the puzzle in terms of putting on a, a show, the production aspect, it, all of it is a symbiosis and it doesn't stop after opening night for everyone, but the actors And we have to be as connected on stage with the people up in the booth and behind us, you know, backstage, like helping us with our quick changes and so on and so forth. Like that, like that quick change is is the obvious one, right? That one hits you. But then there's some, in certain cases, there's somebody back there mess, making sure that all the props are in the right place. Even after you've checked your props, you know, but it, it's all part of this whole, beautiful like coexistence that happens and it's cool to get that perspective because I mean we had Rick Morales on um, a few episodes ago and he was our first stage manager so like I'm learning how to how to ask these types of questions to someone in your with your level of expertise just like him and to understand what's going on in their minds as this monologue is happening on stage is really kind of cool to see. Oh, monologues are great because that's usually when we get to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. Um, Bradley, one of the things that's always intrigued me about you, oh, my, my PlayStation battery's done. Oh, no. Anyway, um, you had started your own theater company back in the day before COVID-19, theatrical response team. Yeah. Speak, speak to the motivation behind doing that. It was really unfortunate because it was like a week before COVID-19. So we had to shut down just like everyone else. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, <laughs> the motivation, uh, I went through whiskey. Yeah. All right. I went to a, uh, a liberal arts school and there was a lot of benefit to that. Um, the downfall, the down, the negative aspect of that mm-hmm. was that, um, there, because it was such a small school, there was a huge emphasis on acting, uh, particularly for men. And so it was like, oh, you can pass for male. You be in this show. <laughs> like it was, it was very uh, like 
desperate casting situation. At least it felt like it from an actor's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a program that was presumably uh, for acting and directing. And so something that I got highly interested in was directing plays. I, um, I met a few directors through my program that I was very, uh, I felt like I connected well with and I wanted to kind of emulate them with my career. And so I wanted to direct, but the opportunities weren't really there. And so for me, I just, I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And um, I produced three shows, self-produced them. So walking business to business when I didn't have a car <laughs> and like, hey, can you give me a hundred bucks to help fund this production? And you know, there's all these local companies that honestly couldn't give a shit. Like you are not gonna bring in a hundred dollars of business to them. <laughs> and so they had no incentive to do it. And so trying to sell them on this theater company that really, as far as they were concerned, was completely meaningless. Um, I don't know, it was, it was a cool experience, but I would not ever want to do that again. I mean, we've kind of been doing it with this, but like with, with the, uh, the theatrical response team, we don't have overhead, we don't have uh, like things that I would consider to be essential. Like I, you know, if I direct, I want to have, make sure that my actor's paid and that my musical director is paid and my stage manager is paid and uh, that we have a good set that can at least somewhat um, mimic what is in my mind and we can have costumes and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I really want to direct and I, made the opportunity to have the experience. And honestly, that's kind of been a, a motivator for this company is just to get that experience. Mm-hmm. You, you strike me, both of you gentlemen, in uh, differing forms. And it's really cool that, you know, that we found each other during this, just pure, in general, that we found each other in general. And that, uh, there is, I mean, there is a passion and dedication that both of you possess, and it, and it, and it, it may look different to the, you know, in opposition, but I think that's one of the cool things that, um, that led to the creation of COVID-19 theatrical response team. I want to make sure that I don't stop it. <laughs> yes, we should have That's not a joke I want being made. I would like to put my name on that virus. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Sam. Finish your sentences. Um, anyway, but I, I think that's just in general, we're, when we're looking for our, our tribe, the people that we keep close, what are we looking for? We're looking for similar traits, things that support and buoy our own um, characteristics or desires, things of that nature. And, and I think that's really cool. We all have something that pushes us. And when you find it in three different people that it's actually the same thing, I mean, that, that's something to be, that's something to be applauded. So I'm, Really glad that you, I, I have both of you here experiencing this time and creating things with you both. And for the folks at home, 
who don't get a chance to communicate with people that are driven like this. You've got your own people, obviously. You've got people that you're drawn to that, that, that support and push you in the right direction. Um, make sure that during this time you embrace that as well and you, and you clap it up for them. Um, I, I think now would be a fun time to go to some rapid fire questions. What do you think? Real quick before we do that. Oh, no. Um, sorry. I would just like to pair Dan from earlier and, uh, and modify it slightly. Um, he was talking about how, like, if you want to do something like this, if you want to do live streaming theater, you don't need to do it through us. Like, call your friends and <laughs> just fucking do it. And I think that's something that can really be applied um, post-quarantine is if you don't see an opportunity, you got to make that fucking opportunity. And so if it's, I'm going to do Hamlet out of the back of a pickup truck and we're going to be in different people's driveways every evening and there's going to be two fucking audience members, like that is the type of thing that you got to do. Like if, if that's how you create that opportunity for yourself, then just fucking do it. There's no, there's nobody stopping you except yourself and the limitations that you impose in your mind. So I am being very hypocritical right now. I'm contradicting myself, um, but I'm talking myself through it. And so there you go. <laughs> That's what podcasts are for. Hell yeah. Yeah. To be, to be hypocritical and then in the moment catch ourselves and encourage us for better. All right. Should we do rapid fire? <laughs> Yeah, let's do rapid fire questions. All right, so gentlemen, uh, just so you know, Dan has heard me give this spiel the last couple of episodes. But, um, and there's multiple dabs. God damn it. So here we go. Um, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You can pass them, pass them directly to me, or answer them, because you're not, you're not chickens, all right? No, but I am bad under pressure, so we'll see how it goes. Oh, perfect. Dan, the first one is for you. Where do you get your news from, Dan? Gosh, um, I try to get my news from uh, a couple of podcasts. Um, obviously, I, I don't have TV at all, so I find streams on, uh, online and uh, on Facebook. As, as much as I know that Facebook is a, uh, an echo chamber, um yeah uh I, I i'm a big uh a big pod save america guy bradley uh so mostly fox news drudge report Stormfront. no uh oh, <laughs> fuck. oh shit this is recorded. damn cue the music wait cue the music. <laughs> no i um man i like I've really tried to make an effort to stop paying attention to as much political news uh, because no matter who you are, you're going to inherently have a bias of some sort. And that's going to be more pronounced in some outlets like Fox News, uh, where they're very conservative. Um, I'd say mostly, though, like I listen to sports news or I read sports news. Uh, so I really like ESPN. Uh, no, I, well, no, I don't like ESPN. I like Bill Simmons. I do like Zach Lowe with Ooh. ESPN. Um, I do like the Part of My Take podcast and the um, DNVR Nuggets podcast. So that, like, that's the news that I consume daily. Outside of that, I try to go to um, foreign sources. So like, 
BBC, Al Jazeera, people who aren't going to have as inherent of a bias covering the news. Um, but I do try, like, if it's something that pisses me off, I try to look at a couple different places to see their spin. And that includes Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or um, Huffington Post, like wherever I can try to get as many different angles on it to make my own opinion about whatever the story is. I agree. It, similarly, with all of my left-wing uh, sources, I forced myself to subscribe to Fox News channels on uh, online so that I could see what kind of stuff they're putting out. And every once in a while, try to listen to see how they're spinning <laughs> things. Just don't do it all the time. And the, uh, the lead up to 2016, I listened to Ben Shapiro every day for like three weeks. And I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> like, ah, uh, that guy fucking sucks. <laughs> Very good answers, um, gentlemen. But rapid Not fire. Rapid fire. <laughs> rapid fire. Keyword fire. Jesus. <laughs> oh, you want short answers. Got it. No, no, he wants fire. He wants us to burn the whole building down with our hot takes. No, I don't want that. Um, what movie do you think deserves a sequel, Bradley? Can you come back to me? <laughs> Dan, what movie deserves a sequel? Yeah, I got this one. Big. And it should be called Small. Nice. Wow. Great answer. Great answer. If Tom Hanks as an adult goes back to being a kid. I would be down to see that. What is your phone backdrop or wallpaper, Dan? It is a sidewalk in uh, Munich. Just a picture of a sidewalk. Bradley, what's yours? Mine is a high-resolution photo of the moon. Ooh. Which living musician would you pay the most money to see, Bradley? Is there any context around this question? Or just like, can I, am I in the back there row? Is this a meet and greet situation? Sorry. <laughs> Dan, rapid fire. What musician would you pay the most money to see? Uh, <laughs> I stole these questions from the show that you watched. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I do pay every time they come into town, but um, I love Young the Giant, and I'll pay every time to, uh, to see them. Nice. If this concert was in our living room, I would want a Caroline Rose set. Thank you. That's great. I would, I would, I would buy a ticket to that concert. If it was at Red Rocks, Tame Impala, but not touring their new album, because the new album sucks. Wow, there's a hot take. Don't burn down the Sadly Manor. What is a stupid fact that you still have memorized from school, Dan? Mm. Uh, I don't know about facts, but um, I could sing prepositions about, above, across, after, against, along, among, around, at, before, behind, below, beneath, beside. I'll stop there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bradley, what stupid thing do you still ever memorize from school? I'm going to piss off those math nerds right now, but <laughs> X equals negative B plus or minus four. Fucking no, no. I remember the first half of that equation. <laughs> for those of you listening at home if you know the answer to that equation submit it to me somehow slide into my dms and i will send you a ghost lights t-shirt i believe that is the quadratic formula and i will take a shot for every person who sends us the correct equation 
Boom. Well, there we go. Um, what conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most, Bradley? I believe that certain prominent conspiracy theorists, such as Alex Jones et al. or whatever, um, they are being funded by the government. So they discredit any rational conspiracy theory. Dan, what conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm so skeptical about pretty much all conspiracy theories. I'm just, I, I yeah. What's, I think I have your answer for you. Oh, what is it? Is that there's a West Coast, an East Coast bias. Oh, there is. That's not a conspiracy. There definitely is. <laughs> That's just facts. <laughs> all right. Who is your first celebrity crush, Dan? I got Melissa Joan Hart. Ooh, girl! Clarissa explains it all. Explains <laughs> it all. Mm. All right, Sabrina. What's your celebrity crush? Fran Drescher. <laughs> oh God! Everyone uh, loves the nanny. Hell yeah! Um, real quick, what movie do you think deserves a sequel, Bradley? Oh shit! I was supposed to be thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, you were supposed to be um, thinking about it. I'm going to go with. Um, can I? Can it be a sequel for the original movie <laughs> yeah. that deserves a sequel? Sure. Um, I would like them to um, make a sequel. Oh fuck! <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> Fucking Christ! I would like them to make a sequel for Ratatouille called Ratatouille. <laughs> no, Dan. What's your favorite word? <laughs> What? Say the question again. What's your favorite word, Dan? <laughs> um, lugubrious. Ooh, nice. My favorite word? Yeah. You didn't even ask me the question. I know. Would I you asked... like to ask me the question? <laughs> I just need more time to think about it. I'm yeah. vamping. I'm vamping. Oh, he's vamping here. Hey, Brad, you can pass it back to him, you know. Um, so it's actually two words, but I really like wing it. Winging, winging it. All right, so we're just gonna. <laughs> All right then. Fuck it, a. Uh, this this went off the rails real fast. Uh, Dan, what do you wish was that ghost light that was left on for you? Um, <clears throat> the thing that I was always very scared of as a kid, and why I maybe didn't dive into acting or, or I, I was kind of timid um, in, in some ways and kind of reserved is because I just uh, I wasn't confident in myself because I just thought everybody else could and might be more right than me and what I would tell myself is all those other people out there whether they're adults or kids or way experienced or brand new they are just people and they are just doing the same thing you're doing and your point of view is just as valid and if you just speak up and say what you think you'll probably be there's not a right or wrong but you'll be legitimized in what you think and feel by just feeling okay to say it nice Bradley, what is your ghost light that you wish was left on for you? 
honestly, I still feel like I'm figuring it out and I'm cool with that. I, if everything that has happened to me had never happened, I wouldn't be where I am and I'm happy where I am. So I know that's kind of anticlimactic, but I, well, no, I mean, don't, don't, I mean, for the last 30 seconds of this has been me shitting on you. Yeah, I'm not sure that. But even, I, I think that's, that's a great answer. Even if I had received really good advice, I probably wouldn't have taken it. So hmm. I'm, I'm happy figuring it out and having enough of a uh, base of knowledge where I feel comfortable trusting myself. And I think that most of the time when I do that, it kind of works out. So That's great. That's a great answer. I think that's, I mean, for both of you, I mean, that's a great little piece of advice. It, I think what it boils down to is trusting your path. It's trusting that step. It's, it's your decision to make at the end of the day, regardless of who's there giving you advice and who's not giving you advice. And if that person is you, then fuck yeah. You're ahead of the game. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been episode 47 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. My guests have been the incomparable Bradley Abeda and Dan Ribb, and that is his fifth dad <laughs> of the evening. And uh, I- I've had a great time. I hope you all did too. Please check out the COVID-19 COVID theatrical <laughs> response team. Yeah, I guess I'm allowed to fuck things up, okay? Sam, Sam let me help you out. Now that you've... Rapid-fire questions. So this weekend, Sunday at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, King Lear. I was going to do that. What are you doing? Well, you fucked it up. (laughs) No, I was... (laughs) Can you go to your... God damn it. Nice to see you, everyone. (laughs) For the love of Christ. (laughs) All right. Um, Dan, play the music. Okay. It's going to be King Lear in a box this Sunday at 2 p.m. Go to Facebook. Go to Facebook.com. Look up the COVID-19 theatrical response team. Well, at least it was different. It certainly was that. It certainly was that. Um, I hope you've had a great time listening to this. If you can parse out the, the last 10 minutes of the podcast and make sense of it all. Um, thank you. I'm proud of you. Please, please come back and listen to episode 48, which will be recording on Monday night. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please go out and download that song. Um, please tell your friends about this podcast. If you're looking to just hear, hear friends talk about the thing that they love the most, um, give the Ghost Lights podcast a follow, not to be confused with the Ghost Lights series. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan. Do the damn thing. (laughs) Oh, we're going to start again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 47. Brilliant, guys. <laughs> <laughs>